let's go. Alright. <clears throat> Howdy, and welcome to episode two of Cast Protection. Cast Protection is a podcast that discusses the Netflix original series Stranger Things. My name is Jonathan Kreitz, and I'm joined by Dave Atterbury. Hello. And Mr. Chris Tyler. Hey, everybody. Um, we're going to discuss episode two right now, so I'm going to uh, read us a quick synopsis, and then we'll get into the discussion. So here we go. Uh, for the opening, it's the same night as the ending of chapter one. Mike, Lucas, and Dustin hide Eleven in Mike's basement and debate about what to do with her. They end up having her spend the night there and plan to have her walk around to the front door the next morning so that Mike's mom will take her to the authorities. Um, in the episode proper... A utility truck is out to check the line at Joyce's house as a strange call she received at the end of Chapter 1 fried her telephone. She's a wreck, and Jonathan tries to get her to eat as they plan on making copies of missing missing posters. Hopper arrives to tell them the search hasn't turned up anything, and Joyce crosses a line when she says she knows that the call she received last night was Will, just like Hopper would know if it was his daughter. It's also breakfast over at Mike's house. He snags a few Eggo waffles and brings them to Eleven. She refuses to go along with his plan to go to the front door, as that will get Mike and his family and Eleven killed, just like Ben at the diner. At the National Lab, the surveillance of local phone lines picks up Joyce's call to the police station about getting the strange phone call from Will the night before. The search continues in the woods around town, while at the high school, Steve convinces Nancy and her friend Barb to come over to his house that evening. His parents are out of town, and that means they're going to have a little party. They see Jonathan putting up missing posters of Will and mock him before Nancy goes out of her way to tell him she's sorry about what they're all going through. Over at the middle school, Dustin and Lucas debate the merits of Mike's plan as Mike heads back to his house to get Eleven. Mike gives Eleven the tour of his house, and she is drawn to the pictures of his family and the Lazy Boy recliner. Yeah. Yeah, that was that. That definitely brought back memories. Uh, my parents had two blue Lazy Boy recliners, very similar to those. Um, Jonathan is driving, and the clash comes over the radio. This makes him flash back to Will's last birthday when he played the clash for Will on his stereo to distract him from the fact that his father wasn't coming to his birthday. He tells Will to just be Will, to not let things like uh, to not like things just because other people do even his father. His dad was going to take him to a baseball game, and Will didn't even like baseball. Um, But he was saying, just like things you like, and just be you. So, Joyce is in town at the store she works at, as she needs a phone to replace the one that burned up the night before. In desperation, she leans on her boss for two weeks advance and a pack of camels. (laughs) That killed me. (laughs) Yeah, that scene, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it a little bit later, but that scene was, uh, you know, it was just so sad, you know. She's she's missing her son. She's desperate. She needs the phone, and he's given her grief. And finally, she's just like, "Look, I've worked here for ten years. Give me the phone and my money, and give me a pack of camels." So it was good. <laughs> it was good. Um, back at <clears throat> Joyce's house, while she's gone, Brenner and his team arrive from the lab to examine the area. And they discover a spot similar to the ones at the laboratory in the shed where Will disappeared. Mike explains Yoda and some of the other toys in his room to Eleven, and she picks Will out of a picture in Mike's room. 
Mike wants to know how she could know him. Uh, Mike's mom comes home and Mike hides 11 in his closet. He promises to tell her <clears throat> to her that he'll come back and explains that a prom- what a promise is. So going into his closet causes 11 to flash back to an experience in the laboratory where she is thrown into a windowless closet-sized cell, kicking and screaming Papa the entire way. Mike makes excuses to his mom about staying home sick, and she cuts him slack as she's sure he's just really upset about Will Will being missing. She tells Mike that Mike can always tell her anything. He says okay, and immediately goes back to the super-powered girl he has hidden in his room. Wouldn't we all like to do that? Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's like, you can tell me anything. And he's like, yeah, okay. Uh, Joyce gets home and hooks up the phone and we see why she was so desperate she's going to sit by this phone just in case the Will would call back it's all she has at the moment Hop and his deputies are looking over a quarry lake when the call goes out to Ben's diner from the previous episode Uh, Ben has been staged his body has been staged to look as if he committed suicide and with the disappearance and now the suicide One of the deputies asks Will if it reminds him of being a big city cop again. And he says it does, except that those people were strangers and Ben was his friend. Jonathan goes to see his father in the city, despite what he was told, and is disgusted that his dad isn't more concerned about Will being missing. Lucas and Dustin come to Mike's house after school and are shocked that she, Eleven, is still there. When Lucas goes to get an adult, Eleven slams the door and locks it with her mind. Back with Jonathan in the city, his dad lets on that there is more to the story of the dissolution of their family than what Joyce says. You can see a shadow of doubt begin in Jonathan's eyes. Back at the station, Hop interviews. I wasn't sure if that was Ben's father or regular or what, or, you know, I wasn't sure. I think it's his dad. It could be just a friend. I think it's just a regular at the diner. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't clear on that either. Who lets on that Ben found a little boy with shaved hair that day. Hop immediately asks if this could have been Will, but we, of course, know it's Eleven. Um, Nancy convinces Barb to go with her that night to Steve's. Mike's family and the other boys eat dinner, but none of them are really hungry. And again, Mike's mom imagines it's because they're also scared for Will. Back out on the search, they find a bit of Eleven's hospital gown in a storm drain. Only a terrified kid would hide in there. Um, the boys bring dinner to Eleven and want her to talk about how she could recognize Will. They want to know because Will is their friend, and friends are the ones that will keep promises. Nancy and Barb arrive at Steve's, and Barb is obviously less than thrilled to be there. Uh, Hop can't sleep. He asks the woman he's with if it's possible he's cursed. There hasn't been a missing person or a suicide for decades in their town, and he is trying to solve both at the same time. Eleven uses the their dungeon board in the basement to show that Will, and she actually knew he was the wizard piece in their campaign from the night before, is alone in the dark. He's hiding, and not from the bad men, but from the Demogorgon, the Demogorgon. Jonathan enters the woods with his camera, taking pictures of anything that might explain where Will is. He comes to Steve's house at the edge of the woods, and he photographs Nancy and the crew at Steve's house. The kids are shotgunning beers, and Barb slices her hand. And while she is inside cleaning it up, the other kids get into the pool. Back at Joyce's, the phone rings, and it's Will's muffled breathing mixed with monstrous growls and static again, just like the night before. And again, her phone burns up. But this time, the electricity in the entire house flickers, and Jonathan's stereo comes to life. It's playing the same clash song as before. And as the lights grow brighter, 
Joyce's shirt as well, trying to get to her, to speak to her. Just then the lights go out. The wall bulges horrifically as if it's alive. Joyce runs, but from outside she can still feel Will calling to her. She screws up her courage and she goes back inside. Uh, back at Steve's house, when Nancy goes upstairs, she tells Barb to go on home. Instead, Barb goes out back and sits down on the diving board. Jonathan's camera malfunctions at the exact same moment that whatever took Will takes Barb as well. Nancy and Steve consummate their relationship, and this is the end of Chapter 2. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was a really good episode. I mean, it, it definitely takes everything from... For one, I really like about this show is that it's... You know, it's not like 24 where they're counting down. There's a clock counting down how minutes, but it's very, very much like an episode a day almost. You know, it was Sunday night. Now it's the Monday, the next day, the very next morning. It's Monday. It ends on Monday night. You know, the next episode is going to start, I think, on Tuesday or at the same night. So I like how the time works in the episodes. Yeah, it is kind of like real life. If there was a. <laughs> A uh, girl with powers that escaped. Um, there wouldn't be this long drawn out manhunt, especially if they knew she was in a small town and couldn't go far. There'd be um, mm-hmm. stuff moving, as it does in this show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of the advantages, I think, from it being a Netflix show, where they don't have to to drag out some of those plot points over three or four filler episodes in a no. in a twenty four episode season. Which, sure. yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the pacing um, is spot on for this story yeah i mean it practically begins i mean not exactly when the previous episode ended but maybe an hour later half an hour later i mean it ends very it begins very close to when the previous one ended um and i actually i actually love the opening (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh you know there's really good kid acting in this series so far and them trying to uh you know figure out what 11's deal is was really funny um, the yeah. whole maybe she's deaf and clapping at her, you know, that was awesome. It's not an unreasonable yeah. thing if you haven't heard her talk, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's funny she 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 not only is exhibiting like some telekinesis, but there's some psychic powers too, you know, like the yeah. fact that she knew that Will in their campaign in the game was the wizard piece, um, that she could pick him out of the photograph. You know, either she's just really, really, really perceptive somehow, or I think that's part of her power set, too, if you want to, you know. Yeah, there's definitely more going down the line, which it's it's not just telekinesis. She does have some uh, maybe not super perception of what's in people's heads, but she can definitely kind of read people. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, she does a great job. Again, her acting is just spot on. Um acting so much through reaction rather than uh, her, than dialogue or um, yeah you know everything yeah. that's going on in her mind she doesn't have to say a word uh when that door closes on her in the in the bedroom and you just see mm. how terrified she is and yeah. the acting where they're dragging her oh yeah it's, yeah. it's heartbreaking and it's, yeah, it's it, and it's a real little... I mean, she's a real little girl. Those two guys are picking her up. Her feet aren't touching the floor. Yeah. And you can tell she's... They, I'm sure they told her, you struggle like hell to get out of these guys' hands. And yeah. they're not going to let you go. Because it's... 
Yeah. It doesn't look like acting. It looks like somebody being dragged away. Yeah. No, I agree. No, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Jonathan. I love the, the opening and just the whole dynamic of the boys and their, their little group and how each one is kind of a – they're all similar. That's why they're best friends, but they each kind of represent like a different reaction to the situation. Yes, you know, absolutely. You've got, you've got uh, you know, Mike, and he's just kind of the earnest and just wanting to go along with it, and he's so captivated by – uh, 11 and, and everything to do with her. And you've got Lucas, who's just kind of like the complete opposite, who's basically just freaking out and and wanting to go to the parents and, and is just kind of angry and upset about what's happened to Will. And then you have kind of Dustin there in the middle, um, who's just, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of in between both of them and just their reactions and the way that they, uh, you know, the way they they each prepare for their mission and everything is just, uh, they're definitely, um, the highlight of the show for me. So, yeah, yeah, no doubt. They, it, it, that's a good point. They, they do all react to it differently. Um, and that will continue. I'm, I'm sure as the, as the story gets deeper and deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a note here too. Um, there's a few, there are actually several references, uh, in this chapter makes me want to know this but like do joyce and hop have some sort of previous relationship um yeah i don't think uh, it's i don't think it's directly stated yeah but and it might not even be a romantic relationship it just might be the fact that they've both been in this town for so long you know you just bump into people it's certainly it's not something that's really elaborated on but it does give flavor and context to uh, what Lonnie's version of the story might be. Right. <clears throat> so it is yeah, something to chew on. And Hopper seems to have, uh, you know, played the field a bit in town. So. <laughs> He's still doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely something there to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Lonnie, I mean, he's kind of the stereotypical you know, deadbeat dad living, you know, separate from his wife, you know, got the young girlfriend, you know, is more interested in showing off his fixed up, you know, hot rod, muscle car or whatever mm-hmm. than uh, anything Jonathan was really telling him. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where, where he sometimes goes. Sometimes there are characters that what you see is what you get. And, uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, I'm cheating because I have I have Jonathan's notes, but you know, you you brought up the the ET parallels in your notes. <laughs> you yeah, can't miss them. you know, and and that's another one. Like, uh, I mean, there's some obvious overt ones I'm sure about to cover here, but but that that's I think one of the more subtle ones. You know, because that was the exact same situation that was alluded to in in ET. Well, he's also playing with Star Wars toys in front of ET too. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, you remember the, the dad had basically traded mom in for a younger model and taken off. Oh, right. that's right. right. And so, you know, it's another subtle um, parallel. And like you mentioned, the toy scene, um, her investigating the house when everybody's gone, you know. And it's funny because, like, I, I was thinking about that uh, when I was rewatching the episode. And, you know, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to be probably the same person that, that's like, The Force Awakens is just a remake of A New Hope. Um, you know, they'll they'll be the first one to point out. Ah, this is just ripping ET off, and it's funny because it's I, I think 
there is a place for that in good storytelling in, in, in basically remaking, doing an homage, whatever you want to call it, you know, taking something that's classic like that and, and using it to great effect. And I think that's actually one of the backbones of what makes this whole show work is this masterful homage to the ET story, but taken in a more darker John Carpenter-esque tone. Well, and it's, and it's human. You know, that, yeah, you know? I was just about to say mm-hmm. that it's one thing seeing that ET puppet react; it's another yes. thing seeing a twelve-year-old girl that's right. wounded. Right. Yeah, she's in, the scene like Hero mentioned earlier with her being hauled down the hallway—you know—that mm-hmm. that's a lot more powerful than any, you know, than ET getting left behind in the woods. You know what I mean? Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, so no doubt, like it. Last episode, we spent a large amount of time discussing all the influences and references and, mm-hmm. you know, the things that kind of were woven into the fabric of the show. But I think it's gone. It goes much further than that in the story it's trying to tell. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I got the feeling if it, 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 it to me, it felt like this is what you would get if you took. Uh, like a movie like E.T. and stretched it out to more of a, a miniseries length where you could really dive into some of the other characters. Yeah. You know what I'm almost feeling like it is now? We've seen the progression of Spielberg over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, E.T. is the movie that he made in, you know, 1980. Was that 82, 83, 84? I can't even remember. Yeah, that. I think 83 yeah. maybe. I think yeah. it's about the same time the show is, but, you know, this, or maybe it's... Uh, no, I have to look it up now. I you know what? There probably would have been ET merchandise all over. But then again, that might have yeah. been called too much attention to it. But yeah. I think if Spielberg was going to make ET now, it would not be the same movie. It probably would be slightly darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, just look at how his filmography has gone on since, really since Hook. You know, um, well, with, it's been much more adult, much more serious, much less fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and there's and there's and there's scary undertones in this, you know, the 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 uh the government guys running around in their in their white jumpsuits, you know. Um bugging people, spying on them. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's know, a lot darker than just a coyote rolling up with his keys jingling. Although yeah. the the G Men in E. T. terrified me when I was a kid. Well, it's oh, because they, they never all, show their faces. Yeah, they come yep. into the house and in their spacesuits and all that. That part literally like freaked me out when I was a kid. Right. Oh yeah. So the ET, I still haven't shown my five year old son ET. We'll watch it eventually, but I'm in no rush because he's pretty brave for the most part. But that that movie has some stuff in it that I think is just scary enough to make it awesome when you're a little kid. Yeah, but it's, also, yeah. it's like no rush on showing it to him. It's that's a tough one to do too. I mean, it's because that also that's one of those movies that still makes me kind of blubber. And it's like, you, oh yeah, you know, if you're five years old, it depends on how what kind of five year old you are. If you're the yeah. kind of five year old that's out running around and is scraping your knee and you know doing right. that kind of stuff, it's one thing. But if you, depending on what kind of kid you are, ET is it can be traumatic. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I had the next note I had here was that um, apparently the show was shot in Georgia. It says that at the beginning or at the end of every episode. Yeah, uh, and and if you watch The Walking Dead, then you would immediately 
recognize the quarry with the lake in it um, from this. I think it was this last season, maybe the first episode of the last season. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? I don't know if either of y'all watched The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't well, watch it. But... Well, there's the first, I think it was the first episode of this last season. Rick comes up with this plan. It's all kind of shown in flashbacks, and they're even in black and white, if I recall, which is pretty cool. But they, maybe, yeah, I don't know if they were in black and white now, that's how loud. But regardless, they have this plan where there's this huge horde of zombies, and they trick them to fall into this exact same quarry lake. Okay. It's the exact same location. So if you watch The Walking Dead, then you'll recognize this lake immediately. Um, and I didn't want to skip over it either, but definitely something, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to, I don't think they're going to make a big deal about this, but it's very, like, maybe it's just kind of something with the 80s-ness of the show as well. But there's something about Mike and the way he gives a tour of his, like, not, like, fancy, but very nice upper-middle-class home and the mantle full of beautiful family portraits and his TV that's a lot bigger than Dustin's uh, with the juxtaposition of Joyce, like, begging for her two-week advance at her place she's worked at for ten years and because her son is missing. Um, that's not necessarily something you would see, I don't think, in movies from this era, like actually movies from the 80s, you know? Or maybe you did some, but I think it was just uh, it's just how those scenes kind of worked right after one another that yeah. kind of stuck out to me on the same no, I, think, I think you're on to something there. Yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely like a fitted... Um, a John Hughes movie definitely would have hit you're that right. stick pretty hard. Yes, you're right. <laughs> was it like and, Pretty in Pink, you know? Yeah, there was definitely that whole, like, you know, uh, class imbalance thing going on. I think I think that's definitely, uh, you know, trying to get there with, you know, showing that Winona and her kids are not very uh, well off. Sure. You know? and, and it's and Mike's family is definitely something that is discussed um, in terms of his parents. And, you know, we've already seen it. From what we've watched so far, you can see the uh, ineffectuality of Mike's dad, and you can yeah. kind of see, and you can see the how mom wants to be there for the kids, but the kids just aren't willing to give anything. So it yeah. is it is it is a re- reoccurring theme, uh, yeah. and it isn't it it isn't just dropped after this that it is brought up about how you know parents sometimes are. I mean, you look at the relationship that Joyce has with Lonnie, and that's another thing that does come back into play. And that's also juxtaposed with the relationship that Mike's mom and dad have, which mm-hmm. on the outside would seem completely opposite. Um, but as you get further into the show, it, you kind of find out that, <laughs> well, well, maybe not everything's great for everybody anyway, which yeah, is yeah. kind of, you know, that 80s start of the post-nuclear family um, with the advent of the amount of divorces that were going on it's definitely something that is uh, made a point of well and there's even a sense oh man there's even a sense i mean the reason that will was alone when he came home is because his mom and his brother were both working at the same time there's almost a sense like he's gone because he's a latchkey kid for this mom who's not around because she's working to make ends meet you know, he's basically missing almost because they're poor, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah, it mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a major thing that shows like 
trying to be about or whatever, but it, it plays subtly into the story, I'd say. Yeah, no, it's definitely there, especially because I, th- I think what's interesting is at first you think, okay, well, that's obvious because, you know, again, like he's the latchkey kid and his his mom and his brother are working. But then like like Hero brought up, like then you go look at Mike's family and there's just as distant, but even though his parents are sitting right there. Yeah. But, you know, his they're dad's there, but they're not la-la there. Land. Yeah. Right, right. His, mo- his mom, you know, Karen makes these, you know, half-hearted gestures like I, you know i'm there for you if you want to talk you know she's not actually going to talk with them she's just saying that i can talk if you wanna yeah I, so, I actually didn't read that from her i think she is genuinely concerned um, well yeah but, but i, I mean, think like, the, the kids just with the, the ages that they're at they're just not uh, you know mike's not going yeah. to because he's hiding a, a science experiment in the basement oh sure, sure. and nancy's not going to say anything because she's a teenage girl that's out trying to do her thing and there's just no way that conversation's happening yeah right yeah well i, I guess the sense i was trying to get is that like that mom may have you know not paid close enough attention to her kids you know which kind of gets into where you know nancy's arc starts to take her to you know I well think that's a, a- that's a good segue to Nancy and Barb and Steve and their little crew. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, we talked about juxtaposition. There's a good comparison. I think we made between the way that will, uh, will's friends. So Mike and Lucas and Dustin and now 11, I guess have this do or die attitude about finding him versus how Nancy, makes Barb like be her chaperone basically. And then ditches her, ditches her and she gets taken yeah. by the monster. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's, it definitely backfires on poor Barb a little bit. Um, well, that's, but, that also brings into play the theme of like with Jonathan talking to Will, don't be something that you're not. And yeah. Barbara tried to be something that she's not for a hot second. And it just, um, didn't work out too great. Yeah, she um, she slices her hand trying to shotgun a beer, which she obviously has not done before, most likely. It doesn't seem like at least. No. And was pretty uncomfortable doing. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I think this group of kids, you know, is your very typical, like, stereotypical, actually, like, 80s movie kid, like, teenage crew, you know? Yeah. Uh, they're, I don't know if you get the sense that they're jocks at least or something like that, but they're like popular, attractive. They're the jerky rich kids. Yeah. That's that's more like it. Yeah. That's better. That's a better description. Yes. Yeah. 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 At least as rich as, you know, small town or whatever it would be. Uh, Steve's uh, family's house was pretty nice. I didn't see anybody else with a pool, uh, with a house offset in the woods. Yeah. You're (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then and there's the classic theme of you know Nancy uh, gives it up, and thus the sacrifice yeah. must be made, and Barb is taken at the altar of horrordom. So. Yeah, no, seriously. You know, we talked about that Whore last episode. Horrordom. About... <laughs> well, that's that's going to come into play too. Yeah. Well, we talked about that last episode that you know is yeah. Nancy going to be the chaste final girl? You know. No. But oh no. my god, I just had an epiphany. What's that? Hmm. Okay, everybody's talking. Well, I'm going to have to kind of spoil future stuff. That's okay. That's okay. We find out the creature is attracted to blood. I won't oh, say anything, but if Nancy was giving it up, that oh, would be a source of um, 
red fluid. Uh, so Yikes. I'm just saying, maybe it wasn't exactly Barb's fault. Well, I think that I think in the show at least they make it seem like it's Barb's hand, but maybe there's more going on there than than That's we realize. That's just my yeah. awful mind going places. <laughs> yeah. And I liked Barb. Yeah, I Barb. She would have been the girl I would have hit on at that oh. age. Yeah. Red head with yeah. the dorky hair and the glasses. Come the on. glasses and yep. the sweet little Volkswagen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Poor Barb. We haven't seen the last of her. Yeah, that's nope. okay. No, nope, we have not. So the final um, kind of, I think it cuts between what's going on in Steve's house and what's going on at the buyer's house. But um, Joyce and the crazy stuff going on at her house, mm. it actually made me wonder if we weren't going into a poltergeist type situation. Um, when I say that, just not to like you know, beg a response, but I mean, the film, for one, I like, one of my all-time favorite movies is Poltergeist. I love that movie. Like, I feel like it's, you could just, I could watch it over and over again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a classic, right? And if you believe the legends and the rumors, it's like the uncredited Spielberg movie of the same era as E.T. and his other, you know, early 80s movies. So... I feel like there's definitely a connection here. And in that movie, the little girl, Carol Ann, she gets sucked into her closet and she's gone, but she's not gone. And it seems like we're getting a similar situation like that with Will. So, it, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, you don't need definitely. to to beg a response. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much – you're not going to call to mind Poltergeist in the first episode. And then it's immediately what's happening in the second episode. Right, right. There's weird stuff going on in that house. Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. it seems like, you know, in in a certain kind of show, it might play up the idea like maybe this is all in Joyce's mind, you know. But I think the way it's presented to us here in this episode is like, no, this is really happening. She's really seeing this, even though no one else might believe her right now. Yeah, uh, it's if that not... was the only thing you had, you would be in that same exact position. You'd be getting the brand new phone, doing whatever it takes to get it, and sitting there. Yeah, oh. hoping that he would call back. Yeah. Whew. Well, um, that that was kind of the the notes that I had. Was there anything else you guys um, could think of? One other thing, I guess I would throw out there is there was a really, really good use of music in this episode. Yeah. I mean, nice. we had a lot of classic, you know, 80s era uh, music in the episode so far, but the use of that Clash song, you know, music's very powerful in that kind of way, but it, it really kind of tied the episode together. Yeah, it's a big bond between John and Will, so yeah. it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a running theme uh, in the show. Um, one other... Uh, reference that I would note is in uh, Mike's room, Dark Crystal poster. Nice. Hey, you know, I saw it say Henson. I, I guess I didn't catch what it was. I did see across the bottom at one point it said Henson something, but yeah, yeah that's awesome. Right above his uh, science fair trophies. Right, right above the trophies, yeah. Yep, I didn't catch the full poster. poster. Okay, gotcha. And I saw, and I, cause I had a very similar poster. I don't know if it was the exact same one or not. On the other wall by his bed, he's got a of the space shuttle launching. Nice. And I had a similar space shuttle picture at one point. So, um, and I couldn't yeah. tell. Was that a vintage Kenner Yoda figure? Looked like it. Didn't quite look like the re-release figures. Yeah, 
I wasn't sure on that either. Yeah, I'm not like I've never been a huge figure uh, collector or anything like that. It looked so. accurate to me. Yeah, I have a buddy that's pretty hardcore on Star Wars, and he's um, like 99% certain that the the Falcon was. Uh, it looked like the original had. Falcon. He he actually said it was one of the 90s ones. Actually, I think it's one of the 90s ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, but for the figure, yeah, the figure looked legit. So that was one of the ones I had. So most of my collection came from the the Empire Strikes Back era, and I had a Yoda. So all right, yeah. Now the music was great. the 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 synth score was just awesome. You know, yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, I'm way into that kind of music, and so uh, yeah, every time it kicked in. And of course, I'm an '80s nerd, so you know the rest of the soundtrack is all good. You know, yeah, the so. musical choices overall for this series are mm-hmm. period appropriate and thematically appropriate. Yes, yes. So, yeah, looking forward to getting that, picking that one up as soon as they uh, inevitably put it out to purchase. Oh, yeah, so. I saw some. I, I saved it earlier today. I did not actually read it, but I saw something about the band that did the the musical part of the score. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say they're actually out of Austin, but um, it'd be interesting yeah. to read on that group and see. Yeah, uh, I guess they are. The, I guess, well, they're the, it's two of the guys from a band called, um, I believe it's the band is called, do, 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 I'm sorry. Let me Google that for you. Uh, Survive was the Survive, band. that's right. Yep. Yeah, and I guess it isn't, I don't think it's the whole band. I think it's just two of the guys. Okay. But they have another album coming out in September. Sweet. So um, I've looked up some of Survive stuff on uh, the YouTubes, and it's very much, you know, if you like the Stranger Things opening theme, you'll like their stuff. So. Sweet. Ooh, all right. Yeah. Way good. Nice. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't have anything else um, necessarily no. to add to this episode, but I will say this. Um, I did create a Twitter account at cast protection and a Gmail account, uh, cast protection at gmail.com. So if you're listening to the show and you've enjoyed, if you enjoyed stranger things and you've noticed something that we missed, or you would just like to add your two cents to our discussion, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or shoot us an email at the Gmail account. And, uh, we'll definitely read it on the show if we get anything like that. Um, so with that I'd say thanks for listening and we'll be back next time to talk about chapter 3 alright thanks guys If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. 
So you get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Visit our website at two truefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at two truefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and a number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Freaks.